I have been studying and uh, trying to understand the Bhagavad Gita for quite some time. And I found that nothing helps uh, understanding and appreciating and even relishing it better than discussing it with people who are also on the same journey. And I had been doing a podcast on various topics called the Monks Podcast, where we invite different devotees and have discussions on various topics. But I felt that we should go take one topic and go deeper into it. And the Bhagavad Gita was a natural choice. And the Bhagavad Gita can be approached in different ways. So here we are going to focus on life lessons. So there are 18 chapters and this is going to be an 18 session season to every week. And in each session, we'll be taking one theme from one chapter. And we'll be having some broad discussion on that. So look forward to all of you joining and participating. And thank you for coming. So, Radha, you want to add your background? Um, sure. Yeah. I have much less um, experience than both of these learned prabhus, but um, I've been studying bhakti for about um, seven years, maybe, and yoga sutras before that for maybe five years. Um, but I worked as an engineer, um, a nuclear engineer for the Navy, actually. Um, and then I got into project management and then I got really into, um, bhakti and decided to make that more my full-time, um, gig. So I left the other things, um, and am so much happier now and more fulfilled. And, uh, when Vedasar asked and called, called and asked me to be a part of this podcast, um, I, felt very underqualified, but um, accepted it as my service. And um, if there's any anything that I can offer to be of help to you all or share my experiences or journey or just aid in this, then I'm very happy to do that. So uh, that's my synopsis. And thank you both for, and all of you for tolerating me. Thank you so much. We have Kamala and Anandini. They're all the way in Belgium. So let's welcome to the A Seeker's Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us, Anandini and Kamala. And then we have Owen all the way. Are you still in New York, Owen? I'm in Seattle right now. Seattle, Seattle. I had the great honor of... uh, Staying in the same room with Owen for the retreat in Gitanagari, the BMS retreat, the Body, Mind, and Spirit retreat. Incredible, incredible personality. And then we have, how do I pronounce D-J-A-N-A? Again, please help me out. Well, it's Nadja. Nadja. Yes. And... She's, you're located in uh, Netherlands or Belgium? Yes, yes, that's right, the Netherlands. Netherlands. Nadja from Netherlands, thank you for joining us on the oh, podcast. And then we have Esther, beautiful soul. She's leading a nice community in Eindhoven, Netherlands as well. So thank you for joining us again. Then we have Sandra from... Uh, Loganville, Georgia. 
I think. Decula, Georgia, probably. Decula, Georgia. So moved from Loganville to Decula, Georgia, which is almost in the sticks. <laughs> and so happy for you to join us. And Keshavi also leads a beautiful community in Connecticut. And very, very powerful personality doing incredible stuff out there. Oh, I forgot to say Anandini and Kamala, both are community leaders and community builders in, in Belgium. And then we have Nadia. She is, uh, you're, you're still in Belgium, right, Nadia? Yes, yes. I'm yeah. in Belgium. <laughs> I had the great honor of meeting her at the beautiful retreat. And then we have Brenda Bright in Atlanta, Georgia. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I see her often, and it's very beautiful to see her. And then we have Claire. She's all the way in Miami. Thank you for having me. Another beautiful soul all the way from Miami. And the others we, that I know are Vina. And Vina, I think you're all the way in Brazil. And she's another very beautiful soul. I think, yeah. is that Vina? That might be Vina from Pittsburgh. Ooh. Vina, are you, are you from Pittsburgh or Brazil? We don't want to get that wrong. I'm from uh, Pittsburgh. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. It looks Vina. like the same Vina. <laughs> and, 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 and Radha Pretty, would you like to introduce the other ones? I may not know them. Uh, sure. Yeah, we have Lev here. Lev is the go-to guy at Super Soul Farm in upstate New York. Yes, <laughs> he helps I out Lev. a lot over there. Yeah. And we have Michael. Michael, you're from Pittsburgh as well, right? Hare Krishna, yes, from Pittsburgh. Hare Krishna, yes. And um, I think that's... Mahesh? Mahesh, uh, are you in Atlanta or are you? Hello, Krishna Prabhu. This is Mahesh. Uh, I'm based out of Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Welcome to this beautiful okay. podcast. And then we have Claudia or Chintamani. She's also in Connecticut. So thank you for joining us. Okay. I think, I think we, uh, I think we welcomed everybody to the podcast. This is our first one. Is there anyone we're missing? Okay, perfect. Of course, everybody knows Radha Priti. She is based in Pittsburgh, doing some really cool stuff. So, Chitani Charan Prabhu, I think we're ready. Yeah, thank you. So... The way I thought we could take it is that we can start with uh, a theme from the first chapter. So I'll speak some things and feel free to chip in, to challenge, to contradict, to compliment. So, and we'll have time for discussions also. So we'd prefer that uh, if any of you have any questions, the thought was that if you can type the questions, then mm, rather that we can just... She can ask on your behalf that way. So I'll also use a whiteboard to write certain things. So I'll first give a quick introduction to the Bhagavad Gita. 
Yeah, if you if you just want to message me privately the question so it doesn't distract um, everybody on the podcast, uh, that that would be great. But feel free to send them. That that will be fun. So, I'll be using this as a blackboard whiteboard to write some things and draw some things. And uh, let me start with first with the theme which we're going to discuss. This is when life becomes a battle. We can meet people from many different backgrounds, different uh, social, political, cultural, even religious situations. But there is one thing which we probably can all agree about. And that is that life is tough. That no matter how wealthy, how good looking, no matter how well connected, how charismatic, how talented some pers any person might be, life is not a cakewalk for any man. We all face difficulties. And there are now difficulties may come at many different times, but there are battles which we face in life, which are bad enough. But, and, but there are battles we don't want to fight. There are sometimes we look forward to certain problems, to certain challenges, because we feel that those will help us grow, that those are going to lead us to some better place. But the toughest situations are life battles that we don't want to fight. And the Bhagavad Gita begins with such a situation. So, uh, th this, the Bhagavad Gita is a part of an ancient Hindu epic. Uh, now, it's called a Hindu epic, but it's essentially about uh, characters whose, uh, whose life stories convey universal values and lessons. So this epic is called the Mahabharat. Bharat refers to India and Mahabharat is the world's, considered to be the world's longest poem. It is 110,000 uh, verses within it. And within that, somewhere in the middle, in the sixth book, there is a section, which is, the book itself, the Mahabharat itself has 18 books within it. And just before a climactic war, there is a section which is called the Bhagavad Gita, which also incidentally has 18 chapters. And it is this, this book's 18 chapters. So we are in one sense expanding this now. So these 18 chapters are what we will be focusing on our, during our discussion. And in this chapter, I'll discuss about what the battle over there was briefly. But before we go into that, the point that makes the Bhagavad Gita, one of the points that makes it such a relevant book is that if we consider that there's two parties, there is what you can call as the good guys, the Pandavas, and there are the bad guys called the Kauravas. But the problem is, among the bad guys also, there are some good guys. And here their leader is Arjuna. He is not officially their commander, but he's by far their strongest leader. He's the foremost archer. And at the start of the Bhagavad Gita, both of these armies are facing each other. But then Arjuna suddenly has 
a moment of reflection and he with his chariot comes in between the two armies and from there he beholds and when he's beholding this he's not just seeing the two armies this is not a, a reconnaissance uh, visit to the middle of the battlefield so he actually wants to look at who's out there who's fighting when he assesses the costs he starts feeling this fight is too much and that's when he decides that i can't fight now while this is historical many historians have found lots of evidences for the mahabharat war and many of the incidents in the mahabharat but it is not just historical it is also representational arjuna represents the fighting spirit within all of us like i said life is tough and we all need that fighting spirit to face life's adversities and adversaries so when we are facing adversities are more of events adversaries are people sometimes who are fight against them and when they are fighting against them it just becomes unbearable sometimes we just don't not feel like fighting so this is the point where the gita begins and if we go back so i'll just make one more point and then vedan radha can can comment so by the end of the first chapter arjuna is disheartened he's so disheartened that he puts aside his bow unwilling to fight says, i just can't i can't but by the end of the gita arjuna is enlivened arjuna is ready to do the needful even if it means fighting and similarly life's adversities and adversities adversaries can sometimes down our spirit they can discourage us so much that we feel it's just too much i quit now we can quit from our job we can quit from a relationship but this is existential this is like quitting from life itself and that can be extremely dangerous but the gita helps arjuna find a meaningful purpose even amid this battle and finding that meaningful purpose is what enlivens us so the journey of the gita is the journey toward a meaningful purpose you find meaning in meaning in life and then within that we find our purpose so that is the journey we will be going on during this series of discussions of how arjuna found a meaningful purpose that enlivened him and how we can similarly within the gita find resources to gain, gain a meaningful purpose yes so over to you vedha radha ji i i find the bhagavad gita uh, to be a very interesting uh, script from the yoga text where it uh, not only is uh, something that is practical on on a day-to-day functional level but it also addresses the the emotional journey of an individual and how the physical and emotional journey when it's intertwined and how that can actually uh, when you extract the essence of this too 
we are able to find the, the the spiritual component to all of this. So for me, it has been one of the powerful texts in in the yoga texts where it provides very uh, tangible solutions to dealing with this three-dimensional life existence. So this is why I feel very enlivened to get into this topic with 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 all of you and you know having Chaitanya Charan and Radha Priti and hopefully we'll dive even deeper into this. Yeah, thank you. Yes, this is the whole thing about the Gita that it we'll talk in the second session about the about how the Gita works. It addresses various levels of the self. Just one quick point about this practical. In life, there are always going to be ups and downs, like a sine wave. So this is the outer world. This is what often we call as the physical world. Now, when this happens, there could be two possible responses in our inner world. One response is that these outer dualities, outer upset, outer binaries, they cause even bigger dualities in our inner world. And then we become more and more overwhelmed. So there are some people who tend to say hyperventilate over everything that goes wrong. It's like the end of the world for them. Or the other way is, this is what the Gita helps us to do. There'll be outer dualities, but internally we tend to become steadier. So it is the steadiness that it's not that we don't have emotions, but we are not tossed around by our emotions. That inner steadiness is what will enable us to face the outer situations. It's not that the conversation of the Gita magically removes the challenge of the battle, but it helps Arjuna in that steadiness. And that's one way it addresses the, the physical and the emotional intertwined. The physical can toss us up and down or the physical can be a stimulus for us to find something deeper that steadies us. I find another interesting thing on this a side note is that this, this uh, physical and emotional, well, we all have uh, practical, functional components to our lives, which is very much affected by our physical and emotional aspects. All diseases in this world are are emotional, primarily emotional than physical. So psychosomatic and psychogenetic psychogenic disorders in this world, which is the two main causes of sickness, it's coming from the fact that this adversaries and adversities in life, when we are able to understand and compartmentalize and see the spiritual element to be extracted from these two situations that you presented from the Bhagavad Gita. It is truly a, a path to not just physical health and mental health and spiritual health, but it's a holistic approach to understanding the 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 healthy life that we can all live and optimize our experience in this world. 
thank you yes it's interesting if you consider what you exactly said about arjuna as far as body was considered as perfectly fine he was a trained warrior he was fit he was ready to fight but it was his mind that collapsed and when the mind that mind collapsed what happened was his body also became dysfunctional so it is not exactly a disease that arjuna suffered but it was definitely a a uh, psychogenetic dysfunctioning that happened so from the the mind things came down to the body and these are often the most difficult to deal with for us because if there are physical problems we can find some solutions to them but when our mind breaks down our spirit just goes off and then we can't function yeah thank you radha priti would you like to add something to this Yeah, I guess it's my experience with the Gita what what really tra- attracted me to these teachings at first was just when I started to apply them in my own life seeing the change that that they made um in my workplace was huge. Um when I started just applying some of these practices internally to myself in the way that I dealt with people and I handled relationships um my career just kind of like took off. <laughs> um and then and then what ended up happening a couple of years after that was i realized that i my heart wasn't really in it so much and i didn't care if i stayed or leave or left but um what, regardless of what your end goal is um these practices can help you in every facet of our material lives uh drastically so that that was something that um that really inspired me of these teachings really helped me to buy in that's fascinating so how, how do you feel that the your career took off was it that you were more more focused or more uh, more composed or what exactly or you had, how did it help you to deal better with people yeah so i was um i was a project manager so i was dealing with a lot of people all the time um and when you're a project manager you pretty much have no authority but all responsibilities so the way that you get people to work <laughs> is by personal what i'm sorry no no that's no it's a very very poignant way of putting it that you know no authority full responsibility at all situation <laughs> yeah it's kind of a brutal position cuz you don't really have any real like umph or power to get anyone to do anything but everybody looks to you like if it's not done it's your problem so um it's uh it's the way that you have to get work done for well the way that I found to get work done is uh through personal relationships and in addition to I was working for the navy so people the other thing is mission based like people if, if they really believe in the mission are are more likely to to work hard and be productive but when i but as a leader in that position when i first started to implement some of these practices um like mind control like not responding not not reacting and responding more to a to a relationship taking that time between stimulus and response to um figure out the best course forward that aligns with your end goal um just things like that and working with the mind i saw that um i was that much more effective in managing people and inspiring people as well um so that was just One example, I remember one time I got this email from somebody 
um, I don't even remember what the email was in regards to, but usually I would just respond back and show him how much smarter I was than him, how he didn't know what he was talking about. And, and this is like someone who's super difficult. Everybody struggled with, and I would usually just like take the opportunity to slam him in front of everyone. <laughs> and I stopped and was like, okay, what, what is, what is going to be the result of this? I, I played this through a little bit in my mind. And then, um, yeah, that's exactly Wow, that's exactly what happened there. Um, and then, and I looked at the end game, the end game of what would this look, would he end up doing what I wanted him to do? And then how would I look to everybody else if I'm doing this? Um, and ultimately, I wanted to look dharmically. I wanted people to look at me like I was a leader. I was calm. I was collected. Um, and I was not reactive. And then ultimately, I wanted him to be a team player. So I didn't want, I didn't want to just completely ostracize him. And um, ultimately that was the goal. The goal was not me exerting my ego over him, which is what we do in the material world. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just took some steps back, redefined what my actual goal was. And then, and then it became clear of the best way to get there. And, um, and that was by responding to him in a way that reflected those characteristics, um, my patience, my tolerance, my understanding, um, and my cool collected seat. And in doing that, you're, you're, when people see you like that as a leader, that's where really you get the real power <laughs> in leadership. Um, and that was what I found yeah. out. So you felt you got the insights or the Self-mass, self-discipline to do that by studying the Gita? Yeah, uh, okay. definitely. It was mm -hmm. revolutionary. An interesting point that I take from what you just shared is, uh, is that reaction, based on the story you just went, your reaction actually comes from the mind because the mind's tendency is to be quite instantaneous and and then you responded controlled mind means when the mind is operating under the under the influence of the intelligence then it has the ability to process and rationalize and thereby you're able to respond and that is something very clearly uh taught in the bhagavad gita and it's something that i have also learned and it's been very useful in 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 my day-to-day -day lives too be able to respond because this is uh, this is the very reason actually we are uh, studying the Bhagavad Gita to try and find these beautiful nuggets, how it's practical and tangible and applicable in our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, and you know the Gita it's it's also yeah, nice because yes, it was minute. I'm sorry. sorry. Just one minute. What uh Veda was saying just quickly depicting this. So basically, the, we will be talking more about this, but you mentioned the terms mind and intelligence, and I would just like to clarify them, that what the Gita says is inside us, there are these two parts. The mind is a little bit more of the impulsive side within us. It just goes by emotions. And the intelligence is the more of a rational side. So whenever any stimulus comes in from outside, it can either trigger our mind, and if it triggers our mind, then what comes out is a reaction. Just you did this to me, so I'll do this to you. You yell at me, I'll yell louder at you. But if the stimulus 
it triggers sorry if that stimulus triggers our intelligence then from that what comes out is a response okay you did this to me but what exactly do i want to achieve over here what is the purpose of this interaction what is the purpose of what we are doing and based on that we can choose wisely so the key is now at the start of the gita arjuna was over here arjuna was reacting he says no i can't fight this is too much so this is where arjuna was at the start of the gita but this is chapter 1 but by the end of the gita arjuna had come here and that is where we would like to go it come to the level of responding yeah please go ahead so the self essentially has to choose will i identify with the mind or will i identify with the intelligence and we'll discuss more about this model but this is what goes in the inner world so when we identify with the mind i earlier mentioned this point about you know the outer situation leading to hyperventilation of far greater reactions this is what happens when the when the mind is active when we just react based on our emotion, uh, emotions alone but this steadiness comes when our intelligence becomes active so that's what the gita will help us to do to help us activate our intelligence in a more uh, dynamic and swift way yes please go ahead yeah, i was just going to say and, and even bigger than this what this did for me which was huge i mean after this uh, like i said i got promoted and i just i, I felt like th that was this was like the key to my career that being said the bhagavad gita gave me a reason to want to do this because in the material world it's like why do i care if the goal the goal in the material world is to achieve to climb the corporate ladder to succeed then what i'm going to do is show how great i am to everybody else like that's my goal i'm my i'm driving i'm leading with my ego but in spiritual life it's different that that's not the goal and when when first experiencing a relationship with with god and feeling how sweet that is and then learning more about about um the the true spiritual path um in through the bhagavad gita it was like oh, okay if if i really want to pursue this relationship further i have to kind of change some things within myself so that was my real motivation even for doing it but then when i did that i saw how how much closer that brings me to god or how 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 that affects my material life in such a positive way but ultimately how that brings me closer to god which was really why i did it in the first place because otherwise who cares that's <laughs> what's the point it's material life I, i'll succeed <laughs> you know yeah thank you so i try to articulate this if i'm right let me know that if first it changes how we function so we are more calmer we react we don't react we respond but then eventually why we are functioning okay i can be calm but i can calmly just try to boost my ego to calmly try to go for fame and glory and proclaim my superiority over others but we can function for a higher purpose to grow spiritually to go closer to the divine is that what you are saying overall yeah and that motivation is like the north star of all of life i found um because i've found how connected and peaceful and it just works it, it's a self fulfilled life <laughs> mm so would you say how i function as as the position as an observer 
Yes, you could say that. Here, basically, you talked about react, no. Respond, yes. So one of the keys to responding is that we learn to observe ourselves. We don't just act, but we observe ourselves. And, yeah. There is a, there is a, there's a very popular book in the world. I think it's called The Untethered Soul. Yes, I read that book, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very popular book, and they really, really emphasize on this point of being the witness, to have the yeah. witness consciousness, and that's when you're able to respond. So, very yes, nice. One of the, yes, one of the keys, the Gita talks about various yogas, and one of the yogas within the broad Gita's ambit is Jnana Yoga. And Jnana Yoga focus, focuses primarily or almost exclusively on being the observer observe yourself and the more we observe ourselves the more we can evaluate what we are doing we can regulate what we are doing that's definitely one of the key parts of the Bhagavad Gita and we'll discuss that in due course yeah in my, in my experience you try this on in your normal life in your relationships in your workplace with your kids and and what you find is how effective how revolutionary it is to everything in your life but but then after i did that and found that i found that those things that i was trying to accomplish through those relationships through those workplaces through those was not ultimately what i needed to make my heart happy and so it's like then the bhavan gita also provides the next step yeah you know i put it this way gita purposes what does the Gita help us to do? At one level, it acts as like a shock absorber. Life will give us many shocks and it helps us to absorb the shocks. Yes, don't get affected. This person spoke like this to me. This person did like that. All this happened. And that is, at itself is very valuable. But eventually what it does, it, it acts like a goal transformer. It, it gives us a higher purpose for living. And what we seek in life that itself changes by the study of the Gita. And um, I think that's that's what, to some extent, what you're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is what happened to me also, if I can share. Now, I, I grew up in India. I, India is a, India, I was in a pious uh, family. I knew about the Gita. I think I heard about the Gita when I was two or maybe three or four. In India, it's a tradition to get small children to memorize the verses of the Gita and then there will be Bhagavad Gita recitation competitions so I, I recited verses and I won some prizes and thought hey, this is nice it is it is a thing I didn't see it as a guidebook just nice sounding verses which I memorized and hey people people praise me for it so that was that was all when I was in my college at that time in India, it's a very educationally competitive society. So by the time I was studying in university, I had one purpose in my life. At least at that time, that was I wanted to be a brilliant academic success. So I wanted to be the first in my class, the first in my college. And I was generally good, but I was second, third. I was never the first. Sometimes I just joined first. So at that time, when I I gave GRE, is the exam which non non Americans give to come to America for 
their uh, graduation studies. So when I gave that exam, my English was reasonably good, much better because I much better than most Indians, most of the people who I was competing with because I like English. One of my hobbies in childhood was just pick up a book and pick up dictionary and memorize words. So I did very well, and I was first, not just in my, I was just not just first in my class or my college. I was first in the entire state of Maharashtra, just several million people, and I was first in the history of my college. So you could say that almost, I felt that I had become, I had become a giant, and everyone was down here. Not in the sense of I had a big ego. Probably I had, but it just said I had achieved something stupendous. and everybody congratulated me but at that time it happened that one after another when i was three of my friends they just forgot to congratulate me so in the when this was i was meeting when the first first friend many people congratulated but he forgot he was feeling annoyed why is he not congratulated but in the second person didn't congratulate me i became irritated what is going on and a third person in contract me i was congratulate me i was enraged but then i felt i didn't want to be looked pathetic by asking why are you not congratulating me and that was the time what veda said i had a, almost like a experience of self observation so i was here and i was feeling dissatisfied much more than dissatisfied and i felt as if i was somewhere here looking down at myself i suddenly felt as if hey this is what you wanted to achieve throughout your life and you dreamt that achieving this would make you happy but rather than making you happy it has only made you more dependent for your happiness on others if they don't congratulate not only are you not happy you are actually miserable so i almost felt like i was looking at my life ahead thought what will i achieve maybe I, i'll come to america for higher studies i would get into ivy league university i might win some awards i might write some books but for all those things i thought that i will always need those things in themselves would they make me happy i would need someone to congratulate me someone to someone to appreciate me so i think that is there some happiness which is not dependent on externals and that's when i started exploring for my one of my friends somehow at that time gave me a bhagavad gita and whereas for me it was just a cultural cultural monument in the past now it became more like a personal guide book and in the gita in 6.22 this is one of my favorite verses krishna says that there is a state of inner absorption technically it is called as samadhi yam labdha chaparam labham manyate nadhikam tatah when this is this inner absorption is there he says there are two characteristics of this inner absorption the first is that there is no more craving if we are internally absorbed in the divine in the ultimate reality then when that samadhi that state of samadhi comes in then there is, we feel this is the best thing in life that there are other things i can pursue 
but there is no more intolerable craving and even when difficulties come the gita is not utopian in saying that there won't be any difficulties but there will be no more lamenting there will be disturbances but the disturbances won't disturb us so that so i felt this is this is what real accomplishment looks like this is what if i can if this is for real that if i can achieve this then that is what will actually bring satisfaction so that's the journey i'm still on i can't say i'm there i'm still a long way away but i have experienced over the years that the same things which would agitate me hugely maybe two decades ago three decades ago before i started embarking on the spiritual journey they don't agitate me that much now so that inner steadiness to some extent i've experienced it and i feel that steadiness has come from that higher spiritual connection so this is about a goal transforming the shock absorption goal transformation so this is what the bhagavad gita has meant for me and we will discuss what this inner absorption is and how that comes about later in one of our future sessions it's nice uh, as you were talking about this inner absorption in my mind i was immediately thinking of the ocean how there's so many waves in the ocean and it's a very continuous flow and it never stops and if we get stuck in the waves on top of the ocean the likelihood of us getting smashed to the ground and beaten down every time we try to rise up it'll be a very very uphill upheaval task and i remember uh years ago when i was in the monastery we went on a trip to uh a place called puri jagannath puri and and i got to see the ocean first time in my life and i got to see the waves and the beautiful sound of the ocean and people were uh, very uh, easily overjoyed in in being in that environment and i wanted to also go and try and see how i can extract some joy so i jumped into the ocean and i was trying to uh, deal with the waves and i had a friend of mine from california he was teaching me how to body surf So when I went and jumped on the waves little did I know you know this waves are so powerful the wave came and just smashed me I was almost paralyzed on the on the on the on the bank of the ocean So this sometimes I think of how life is when we don't go in this inner absorption then it's very easy to get smashed by all these waves that come our way in our lives and it's continuous it is not something that just stops it's a continuous thing and then i remember reading somewhere in the gita in the purport i think prabhupada explains about this little fishes they go very deep underneath the ocean and it's calm and peaceful there's no waves down there so when you talk about inner absorption i always take it how bhagavad gita focuses on trying to uh be centered in the heart and be the eye of the storm as they say it in english instead of being in the storm and 
how beautiful it is, even though, even though there's so much going on outside when we are centered in the heart, then all challenges of life are very easy to deal with. And I also feel that Arjuna's conclusion is when he takes shelter of his heart and takes shelter of the divine Krishna within his heart and he takes shelter of that, then all his problems seem to be very trivial and very small. Yeah, beautifully put. It's In one sense, that's what Krishna helps Arjuna to go, to do, to go deep within himself. And see, sometimes our identity, this is the main Indian theme we'll be discussing in our next session, that our identity is almost like an onion. We keep peeling layers. And as we keep peeling layers, we go deeper and deeper into ourselves. So, you know, in one sense, the question for Arjuna is, what should I do? Specifically, fight or not fight? And we don't have to fight a physical war, but we also face difficult situations. And then that leads to a deeper question, if we go deeper, is what is worth doing? Especially when something is difficult, we naturally do a cost-benefit analysis. What is really worth doing? And then to answer that question, we need to go deeper. Who am I really? What really matters to me is determined by who I really am. So in one sense, this is the journey that the, that the Gita goes on. Activity that is determined by priority. What is normally we go through life, but suddenly if something demands far more than what you would normally want to invest. So is this really important for me? So we have a job, it requires eight hours of work. That's what we thought. Maybe six hours, eight hours. And suddenly we find the job is going to require 10, 12 hours of work every day. This is really worth it. Do I really want to do this? And then when we go to the priority, really go deeper. It's like another layer of the onion being peeled. Okay, who am I really? What is my defining identity? It is that which helps us understand what we should be doing. So that is the journey the Gita will take us on. And uh, we will, you have to join on that as we move forwards. So at the start of the, at the end of the first chapter of the Gita, Arjuna is overwhelmed now. I can't do this. I can't fight. He can't fight. He said, because there are good guys on the other side and they are many of them happen to be his relatives. Says, no. Is it really worth it? Is it worth fighting against them? So sometimes you know, whenever we are making a decision, we can look off at the at one thing, we can look at the consequences. If I do this, that's what that's that's what will happen. But there is also the concerns. Now I'm differentiating concerns and consequences here in the sense that this is what is the issue. And this is what is going to result. So if I do this, these concerns will be addressed. So action will lead to the addressing of the consequences. But, sorry, addressing of the concerns. 
but not but that act that same action rather that same action which i take it also has consequences and we can say no action those consequences will be avoided so where do we focus on the underlying concerns that need to be addressed or the consequences that we want to avoid so sometimes the and this is not the best metaphor but the best term but sometimes the word is in military the word uses collateral damage so for arjuna he starts looking at the collateral damage and he feels it's too much i, I just can't do this but krishna shifts his vision from okay that there is there's going to be that cost but why am i really doing this what, what is the reason for fighting and as his reasons go deeper and deeper then he finds that the concerns that are being addressed are far more important so we also as we explore the gita we will go deeper and what really matters for us what really makes us tick as we find that then we will be able to bear whatever are the challenges whatever are the costs we have to pay for doing something difficult we would have to fight against our relatives uh, at least not physically hopefully but some we have to face difficulties and when our deeper concerns are clearly understood then we are ready to pay the price and most of the times in life we are unable to rise to challenges because we focus on the cost of the challenge this is the cost but what is it going to what is the concern is going to address so if we understand that concern then we will be able to actually address it we will be able to persist in that can we uh, recap the whole thing because i have a feeling that yeah we, we covered a lot of beautiful space in this is there yes, a lot more minutes yes rather than you want to make any point before i recap okay so sorry i i was just i was on mute sorry i was just thinking as you were talking that what you just described as arjuna was similar to both of your and I's experiences except that it all kind of happened at once for Arjuna and that he was faced with this conflict and what he what he immediately wanted to do was something to what he wanted to do was to address his material concerns and the more that he engaged in this conversation with Krishna the more that his perspective kind of opened up and he changed what he he ended up changing what he wanted to do because he saw a bigger um like a he his north star kind of changed his perspective widened kind of like what happened to to, to us in a sense where we think what we're doing is to obtain some material objective and as we're doing that we learn that that's not actually our biggest priority and then we end up changing much more about our life than just how we act in that little situation did that make sense yes true so the north star is generally considered unchangeable but the north star itself can change what really matters in my life that's when i talked earlier about the goal transformation and that itself changes to the gita we find a more meaningful way to live yeah thank you so let's re- quickly recap so the first point we discussed was the gita's context that the context is it was spoken on a battlefield is it a part of the mahabharat 
and also discussed about the effect. So where it happened and what it did, that is the that is that is what intrigues us about the Gita. Effect was that Arjuna he was disheartened, and from there he became enlivened. And we all would like this to happen to us. How does that happen? That's what we do. I will be our journey in this. So then the second point we discussed was is how does the Gita affect us? So how we function, the one effect of the Gita is that it helps us to change how we function. So instead of reacting, we start responding. We start observing ourselves and we start understanding what is the best way to act and then this is, this is more like it helps us to absorb shocks the shock absorber and then it's also a goal transformer it gives us a higher meaning in life a higher vision for looking at life what what is it that i want to achieve what is that i want to move forward towards so then the discussion was about how Within us, there is the mind and the intelligence. And external stimuli triggers the mind, then our reaction, then we react. It's short-sighted. When we respond with the intelligence, when we when the intelligence is triggered, that's when we respond, and that's healthy. So the Gita, one of its key themes is that we become an inner observer. And it trains us in learning to observe ourselves. So that what also happened to Arjuna. I talked my incident about how I had this experience of observing myself. And then we discussed towards the end about how when this happens, the example of the ocean came up, how deep down the ocean is calm. And although on the top there might be the turbulence, but the deeper we go, so it's like a peeling identity, peeling layers of identity, like an onion. That example. So we go from activity to priority to ultimately identity. Who am I really? And that is the that determines what matters to me and that determines what I should be doing. So that question of identity, who we are really, that's what we'll discuss in next session. Did I miss anything major out? No, I think this is really well done and I think we are on time. So we want to see if there's any one question because we have one minute. <laughs> one minute, okay. That was good. Bre Brenda messaged me and said uh, that this reminds her of the slokas on chapter four about understanding the difference between action and inaction. Oh, yes. Inaction, sometimes that is uh, what, what is that? Crimes of, crimes of omission. Now you don't do something and that means you've done something wrong. So, sometimes inaction can also be culpable. Yeah. Thank you.